Hi friends, and welcome to the She Lives Purposefully podcast, a place for you to be encouraged and equipped in your walk with Christ. I'm your host, Megan. Hello friend and welcome or welcome back to the She Lives Purposefully podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. It is such a good, good, good topic and it's something I think is so important. We are diving into apologetics, which is not something we often do on the She Lives Purposefully podcast, which is honestly funny because it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. I think it is so important to really know why you believe what you believe, why you can believe what you believe, why Christianity, why the Bible, all these things can be trusted, why God can be trusted, why what you believe is different and maybe and definitely more trustworthy than what maybe somebody else believes, and just being well equipped in that area, which is a huge part of why at Sheila's Purposefully I aim to not just encourage you in your walk with Christ, but to equip you in your walk with Christ. And today we're doing that in the area of apologetics and really diving into why what we believe can be trusted. And we have a really special guest on today. Her name is Shanda Fulbright and she is the host of her podcast, Her Faith Inspired Podcast. And she recently co-authored a middle school curriculum with Dr. Frank Turek called Let's Get Real, Examining the Evidence for God, which we'll be referencing a lot. And I do want to say too, in our conversation, the video just did not work. And so we're going to be referencing looking at the book a lot, um, but we're not going to be able to see it. It's not up on YouTube. It's just, it just didn't work out this episode. So I wanted to preface by saying that and apologize for that too, but you can still check it out. And we'll be linking all of the resources that Shanda references, both for, um, and we'll talk about this in there, but if you are a mom who wants to better equip her children in their walk with Christ, in knowing why they believe what they believe and why everything that you are sharing with them is trustworthy and reliable, or maybe you are just an adult who wants this for yourself, resources for you as well, um, or you're somebody who just wants to share it with friends, coworkers, all of these things, and be better equipped in knowing why what you believe is reliable. We'll be linking a ton of resources for you in the show notes. And I'm just, yeah, super stoked for this episode and everything that we're going to be talking about. I want to thank you so much before we continue just for listening to the podcast. I don't take it lightly that you take your time to listen. And I hope and pray, of course, that each episode is encouraging to you and is equipping you in your walk with Christ. I just, again, think that's so important and I hope and pray you are feeling that in this place. And if you are, I would love if you would leave a review. I read all of the reviews on Apple Podcast. And so leave a review on Apple or Spotify. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you who have already left reviews, your reviews help us to, or help the podcast to reach more and more women in their walk with Christ, to encourage and equip them in their walk with Christ. And two, if you would just share it with your friends, if you feel like there are episodes that have really helped you or encouraged you or equipped you to do that for others, do that for your friends, be somebody who builds them up in their walk with Christ by sharing these episodes with them. This is definitely going to be one that is share worthy, um, whether it is one-on-one in a text or on social media, it's just going to be such a good conversation. And all of these things help the podcast to grow and reach new people, which praise the Lord is why we have been in the top Spotify charts for religion and spirituality, which is so incredible. 
So anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for that and encourage you to leave reviews and to share these episodes. Before we dive into this incredible episode with Shanda, I do want to tell you about a sponsor for today's episode. This podcast is sponsored by Dwell. Dwell is a Bible app that I have fallen in love with that gives you a platform to listen to scripture. Their mission is inspired by the psalmist who encourages us in Psalm 119 to hide the word of God in our hearts. Dwell has built the most beautiful listening and reading experience for the scriptures. They have over a dozen new recordings of the Bible and they've handpicked voices that will engage and inspire you. Plus, they have the best versions of the Bible too, like the NIV, KJV, NLT, and my personal favorite, the ESV or English Standard Version. With their listen feature, read along feature, and read feature all on the Dwell app, your time in scripture can now be reinforced and enhanced as you explore all of these modes. In fact, studies have shown that recall is significantly increased when listening and reading are combined. In short, a multi-sensory approach leads to quicker and deeper learning, which is exactly what we want when reading scripture. Thank you, Dwell. You can go to dwellapp.io backslash she lives to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off of Dwell for life. I have been diving into the Dwell app and it has just been so peace giving. Oh my goodness. So go ahead and check them out. Get started with Dwell today at dwellapp.io backslash she lives to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off of Dwell for Life. That's dwellapp.io backslash she lives, dwellapp.io backslash she lives. Thank you so much to Dwell for sponsoring this episode. All right, and without further ado, let's listen to this powerful conversation with Shanda about apologetics, why we can believe what we believe, and really diving in here specifically into scripture. Can we actually trust the Bible and why can we trust the Bible? In oh, It's just so good and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Let me know too what you think. Send me an email, a DM of this episode, and if you would like more episodes or more resources on apologetics that would be really helpful too this is again something i'm very passionate about and would love to share more about and i'm curious if that's something that you would love as well all right so here we go enjoy this conversation with shanda shanda thank you so much for coming on the she lives purposefully podcast Mm -hmm. it is such a joy to have you here and like i was saying before i'm so excited for just this conversation that we're gonna have about just apologetics and really digging into some more details, I guess. But before we really dive into that, who are you? What do you do in your own words? Um, Yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am, uh, you know, former former public school teacher. I'm a mother of three boys. And so I was also raised in the church. So Christianity isn't new to me as far as I've been around it my entire life. I've, you know, been introduced to God since I was a young girl. So I also work for online Christian courses. So I've kind of taken my teaching skills and my love and passion for teaching and equipping and move that over into the apologetics realm and love to teach like whole family discipleship and just really being able to to help lay that foundation in other Christians like me who was who were kind of around Christianity their whole lives but didn't really know the reasons why we, you know, really believed in God or the the Bible until we started to get challenged with questions. And so I see a lot of that happening in our culture with parents 
thinking, oh my gosh, I got to equip my kids. And um, they are not necessarily equipped themselves. I'm like, oh, that was me. You know, that was me. And so my passion for teaching has moved over into the church and to apologetics. And so I guess I could say, you know, if I summed it up, I'm a teacher by heart and and that's what I love. So yeah, wife, mom, teacher, all of the above. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love to kind of dived into why you do what you do too, is to be able to equip your own kids and help other moms and other parents equip their kids mm-hmm. in Christianity. Um, and I, again, like I said, I'm excited for this conversation because I think it's so important. I had my own season of doubting where I grew up in the church too, and, and then started to kind of have to wonder like, why do I actually believe what I believe? Because I don't want it to be something that was just told to me that I'm accepting. And I think the world surrounds us with questions and doubts and, you know, can really throw stones at and try to poke holes in what we do believe. So to be able to be equipped in knowing like, no, and and you had talked about this before we started recording, but Christianity is a reasonable faith. Like we can not just blindly put our trust in this, but there's actually too, you know, in, in the theme of apologetics, but there's evidence behind Christianity as well. And so I think it's important for our own faith to know, like, why do we believe what we believe, but also to share with friends, coworkers, family, whoever. And then, like you said as well, like to raise up this next generation and, and maybe like some of us just blindly, not blindly believing something, but growing up, believing something and not questioning it until later in life but rather equipping this generation to know like, this isn't just something I'm telling you, but here's why I'm telling you and here's why you can believe that. And so I'm, I'm just really stoked for it. And so I guess we can kind of start with like the big question of why Christianity is a reasonable faith. And I'd love to dive in specifically. And I mean, if it makes sense to you, maybe we can answer that generally first, but why specifically, because Christianity is rooted too in God's word and scripture, why can we trust scripture? And I think there's a ton of critiques in scripture, whether it's the New Testament writers, or it feels like the Old Testament and the New Testament don't align, or people who love the teachings of Jesus as a good person, but like, don't believe the rest of scripture, how the Bible was put together. So many things are coming to mind, but like, why can we actually trust the Bible and, and Christianity. So I guess just your initial thoughts on that, and then we can dive into, into all those things. Sure. Well, we have to remember that the Bible hasn't always been this one cohesive book, right? Um, you know, we, we see that we are the blessed, the blessed ones to have the whole canon of scripture. But when Abraham followed God, he didn't have the Bible to tell him that God existed. And when you have the New Testament writers, they had the Old Testament. They didn't, they were putting together the New Testament and didn't even realize that that's what they were doing when they were writing letters and talking about the evidence for Christ and the resurrection. So we have to remember as Christians that the Bible isn't the only thing that testifies to God's existence. Mm. God's existence, we see it all through throughout creation. So we look at the, the world and then we look at the word and we know that they don't contradict each other. And so in apologetics, if somebody is saying it's struggling with just the existence of God, like skepticism, atheists don't believe God exists, but even some Christians wonder, wait, is this all true? Am I putting my faith into something or someone that like that I can bank on that I can count on that when I die, there is eternity that's waiting for me. Um, we have to start with when in, in apologetics, we start with the cosmological argument and we look at the evidence 
and the characteristics and the nature of the universe and say, if the universe has a beginning, then it has to have a cause. And if it has to have a cause, what are the attributes of that cause? That cause has to live outside of time. That cause cannot have a beginning. That cause has to be immaterial. And so we look at those things and we say, well, that pretty much sounds like God, you know, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all powerful. And then we move our way through to intelligent design. Mm -hmm. And we look at the, the, the design in the universe and we evaluate, you know, the distance from the sun to the earth, if it was off by marginal, you know, distances, then life as we know it would end. That's just one of 122 of the um, anthropic constants is what we call them that, that uh, make life here on earth possible. And so you can get into detail on those, but then you move through and say, okay, that must be an intelligent, creative cause. And so we move through that. And then finally you do get to new Testament reliability because we're saying, okay, if this is God and God does exist, is it the God of the Bible? And then we look at the, um, you know, a lot of people will refute the, the New Testament. If you look at people, Christians with a biblical worldview, 65% of Americans claim to be Christian, while only 6% of them have a biblical worldview. I know you kind of raised your eyes with that statistic, like, what? 65%? I know, that was surprisingly I mean, high to me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think we should definitely have questions when we're, when you see the culture allowing and condoning men can be women, women can be men, gender is fluid. I mean, a basic fundamental truth rooted in biology that is being denied. Uh, where are the Christians if 65% of America is really claiming to be Christian? Well, 6% have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. And many of those who, who deny, um, who don't fall into the category of having a biblical worldview, they say the Bible is not inerrant. There are errors in it. We, it can't be trusted. Right. Um, and so part of apologetics is New Testament reliability. And we look at the eyewitnesses. Every one of the New Testament writers were either eyewitnesses or close companions of eyewitnesses to the events that is recorded in the Bible. The New Testament was written within 15 to 40 years after the events it records. Um, every one of those eyewitnesses were either beaten, tortured, or killed for their testimony. Um, not one of them, uh, you know, lived the uh, quote-unquote abundant life with, you know, super successful and rich men. They, they weren't getting anything, any, uh, you know, momentary benefits yeah. of claiming the name of Christ. They all suffered for yeah. the name. And so there are actually, if you know, we can get into detail on this if you want to, but a quick, a quick synopsis of it. Six, there are six E's of historical reliability that show why the New Testament can be trusted. And so in apologetics, even in the, our Let's Get Real Examining the Evidence for God, even the middle schoolers are learning this, mm. that you have early testimony. The, the New Testament or, you know, the Bible is the only historical document. Um, and you have to look, the New Testament is, a, you know, is a compilation of, of documents, right, into, into the new, whole New Testament. But it's the earliest historical document that we have than any other ancient historical document. Like we put our stock into all of these other writings with, of, about people that were written hundreds of years after they lived. Yeah. 
this was written 15 to 40 years after the events it records. So it has early testimony, it has embarrassing testimony. The men didn't, didn't make themselves look great and heroic. They showed their insecurities, their insufficiencies. When Jesus called them Satan, when, you know, when they let women run to the tomb to find the body of Christ first, when women were looked down on in that culture, they recorded all of that. They could have made themselves look a lot better with them being the authors, but they didn't. So we go through the six E's of historical reliability to show why the New Testament can be trusted. And those are those are all of the things, are miracles possible? You know, a lot of people stumble with the, with the Bible itself saying, well, that's all nice. And yes, it records real dates of real time and real people. However, there's miracles and that makes it, you know, mm -hmm. a fairy tale or a fable or a myth or a legend or whatever. And um, we provide the the evidence that points to the reasons why the New Testament can be trusted, why the resurrection really did happen, why miracles are possible. And, you know, and like Dr. Frank Turk always says, yeah. if, if God exists and you want to know if miracles are possible, then the very first verse in the Bible is the greatest miracle that ever happened when it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and so we you know we examine all of that evidence and we lay that out before atheists and christians we have two different audiences right that have to learn or hear this yeah. and we provide all of that and it goes into like i said it goes into more depth and more detail but once you examine that evidence especially with christians who have always heard about god and been told the what of their religion when they examine the evidence and they're told why that those two concepts those two things are fused together yeah. and it creates for confidence into what we believe without the why your what can be poked there's there's holes that can be poked into it and a lot of times we think oh you know we'll be asked on the outside outside of my home i'll get these questions outside of my church i'll get these questions but that's not true. Mm. My kids will ask me and have asked me, why do we believe the Bible is reliable? Well, if I don't have anything else other than, well, because it's God's word, I'm still not giving them reasons. I'm actually just creating a circular argument and it's not giving them the confidence that they need to, to trust what we're telling them is true. Yeah. I, I love all of that. You're talking and I'm like taking notes of questions to ask and everything. So good. I wanted to talk about just because you pointed out like, you know, we might get those questions and those poked holes or things or attempts at poking holes from the outside or, you know, actually it'll be in our own home from our kids, like just wondering these questions as they're learning new things. And I think sometimes just from ourselves too, like we allow, I know for myself, like my own mind to really I, run with different ideas and doubts. And I think this conversation is so important because sometimes especially for people who maybe grew up in it, but did get those kind of answers. Well, it's like, just because it is God's word and there's not further, you don't know that there is the what behind or like the why behind the what rather. And you don't know that there are those kind of answers there. So I would love to dive into, you mentioned the six C's, I think, of reliability for the New mm -hmm. Testament. And two, I would love for, because you, you mentioned the book, or I think curriculum or workbook that you have. So I, I definitely would love to link that in the show notes too for anybody who um, is looking for that, especially if you have kids as well. And I think honestly for ourselves too, for people who feel like they're not as equipped 
in the why behind what they believe. But yeah, talking about kind of those six C's of why we can believe, I think it was the New Testament specifically, because I think that's a really common kind of first thing that maybe, at least for me, that you hear and why the Bible isn't reliable and then therefore Christianity is not reliable. Sure. So it's the six E's of historical reliability. Oh no, you're totally fine. Um, I know E's and C's, it's hard to tell on a recording or a Zoom. So yes, it's the six E's of historical reliability. And all historians use this, this, um, like the six E's for ancient documents. It's not just the New Testament, right? Yeah. So historians who look, who aren't Christians, who they can even be atheists, who look at the New Testament, they will say it does fulfill the criteria for the six E's of historical reliability. So we're not just talking about you know, biased opinions, right? We're talking about um, evidence here that points to why the Bible can be trusted. And so the first E is eyewitness testimony. Again, all the New Testament writers were either uh, eyewitnesses or close companions of eyewitnesses. Like Mark was a close companion, I believe the disciple of Peter. And so when you look at uh, the gospel of Peter, a lot of uh, people who look through textual criticism and things like that will say it looks like Mark was writing according to Peter's account. And if you look at how even Peter presented, or excuse me, how Mark presented um, when he said, Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan, when G- when Peter was refuting the fact that, no, we're not, you're not going to go die. You're going to, you know, you're God, you're the son of God. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Even that recount in Mark is not as, uh, <clears throat> as harsh or as in your face, I guess it would be taken as it was in some of the other gospels. So we have eyewitness testimony. That means this wasn't secondhand information. It's not like, hey, this guy told me that this other guy said that Jesus did this. It was, I saw it with my own eyes. Um, and so, or it was first count, uh, firsthand information. So embarrassing moments. Again, I, I kind of alluded to the fact that you have um, a lot of the culture in the first century was that women weren't were looked down on. They weren't considered as, you know, um, I guess put in the posi- same positions as men, but they admitted that the women found Jesus's, uh, Jesus first, the tomb was empty, right? And then we have where, again, peers called Satan they by, by Jesus. They even put in the hard sayings of Jesus. John chapter six, mm-hmm. we have Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you want someone to follow, this man, and you saw many of his disciples turn around and say, hey, this is too hard. We can't, we can't buy into this cannibalism because they just didn't understand that he wasn't speaking literally. Um, and they turn and leave. Why would you write that into a gospel, right. you know, the, another document to try and get other people to believe in Jesus if you saw a lot of other people already leave? So they put in these embarrassing, what we call embarrassing testimony, and they didn't they didn't beef it up and make it look like they were the heroes or that they were Jesus's buds. You know, they walked with him for three and a half years. He literally called them and said, come follow me. And then afterwards, Jesus, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. That's all documented. They all left him on the night that he was uh, taken into to be crucified. And they were, they were saying that basically scripture is fulfilled, right? And so you have embarrassing testimony. Then you also have excruciating testimony, which is basically the persecution of, of the disciples. Um, what it took for them to 
hold on to this message that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and rose again three days later. I mean, look at the, the painstaking uh, transformation of their lives. And I, and I love Peter's such a night and day disciple. He's denying Jesus. Jesus kind of like we call him reinstates him, you know, when he risen and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But then you have about 40 days after Jesus ascends or 40 days after the resurrection, I think it was during the week of Pentecost or weekend of it's Acts chapter two, I think. Peter's completely transformed, right? Now he's standing in front of the people who denied Jesus, who crucified Jesus. And he's saying, hey, you guys crucified him. 3,000's added to the church. And this, is, this isn't this is even two months later after he denies Jesus. And now he's completely changed. So we have that excruciating testimony. Uh, like I said, they were all beaten, tortured, and killed for the name of Christ. And a lot of people will say, yeah, but they were lying or they, you know, they, they, he didn't, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. They all lied. And they use the fact that men flew planes into the twin towers. Well, they died for what they believed. We're not saying people don't die for what they believe. You're saying they lied. You're saying these eyewitnesses took this to the grave, but who's beaten, tortured, and killed for a lie? Maybe, let's just say hypothetically speaking, one out of these men would have been beaten, tortured, and killed uh, to their graves, holding on to the name of Christ for this so-called lie. But would all of them? Not only that, Paul Paul uh, makes mention of over 500 eyewitnesses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Jesus showed himself first to Cephas. He's like, then to the other apostles, then to all these angles, and to at least 500 brethren who, you know, in Christ, there are more than just these eyewitnesses and Paul's specific. And then he says, and then lastly, to me as one born out of due season, like he's saying, I'm an apostle now, but I wasn't actually there with them in that moment. And so we have the excruciating testimony. We have expected testimony, which is Old Testament prophecy. So Jesus fulfilled the night that they all scattered yeah. and left him fulfillment of prophecy the fact that he was uh in, that he was beaten the fact that he was crucified the fact that they uh you know they his he came to his own and his own did not receive him mm-hmm. Pro- the prophecy fulfilled so we have expected testimony and then we have extra biblical testimony there are other historians during this time like josephus and um and other others, archaeological testimony, different artifacts, things like that, that that mention Jesus, mention his disciples, mention that the disciples believed in him, that he is said to have performed. They didn't use the word miracle, but that he did these things, that he said that he was the son of God. I mean, so we have at least at least 10 extra biblical sources that confirm the dates, the details, the people of this time and so those are the six e's um the six e's of historical reliability and so we're looking at like i said you could go into depth on these right yeah and again i don't have enough faith to be an atheist dr frank turk goes into much more detail for the adults but we don't hold back with the kids either yeah. i mean the kids have this you probably can't see it but that's six e's to remember and we list the historical the six e's of historical reliability and then we go through each one of them so the kids can also see we're not saying believe the New Testament because it's God's word. I mean, we should, and it is God's word. But we're not saying believe the New Testament because you're Christians and you, that's what you should believe because mm-hmm. it's your book. 
And we're not saying do it because we said or because God says. We're saying do it because there is evidence, good evidence that shows it can be trusted and that it's reliable more than any other ancient historical document that we have. And if you're going to put your trust into Julius Caesar and his life and the things that he did and trust those things that were written about him hundreds of years after Mm. he lived, then why are you going to dismiss the Bible. Yeah. And so that's that's the argument, you know. I think I think that's so good, especially that last two. Well, quickly, could you just list the six C's again just for anybody sure. keeping track? Just like a yep. yeah. Yes, for sure. So we have early testimony, and then we have eyewitness testimony, embarrassing testimony, excruciating testimony, expected testimony and extra biblical testimony. I, I I think that's so great. And I love too at the end how you were talking about comparing it to almost like how we just, you know, blindly accept a lot of things as history that don't have as much, I guess, extra, or you had mentioned kind of that extra or surrounding test or any mm-hmm. testimony, any of those things. But we, we, you know, we cast off scripture so easily because we hear one potential like, right hole in in everything that we believe when really there is actually a lot of evidence behind everything that we believe in the book and everything that's written one other question i have for you just and i don't know if this is something i'm in in this book or this workbook that you have um that i'll ask you to talk about more after this question where people can get it all of those things but in kind of thinking about the Bible as a whole, and you referenced earlier, like, of course, it wasn't written as this one thing, and they didn't, you know, a lot of people that we read in the Bible didn't have the Bible like we have it today, you know, especially like they're writing letters and didn't know that it was going to be put into what we have today as scripture. And I think a lot of people sometimes almost have a, a problem with how it's put together or are led to doubt because of that. I think especially people who maybe grew up in the church and didn't it didn't click for them that it wasn't always this like nice leather Bible that people had forever. So how can we trust that, how it was put together? If you have any insight on, you know, maybe how it was and why we can trust that it was put together the way it was. Sure. I mean, even we have like the gospel of Thomas, um, you know, there's other, there's other writings from so-called people of that of that day well there's other so-called writings from people of that day like the gospel of thomas i think they have um maybe even i I don't even know who else i've heard of some of the women like mary magdalene or you know i i you can watch these historical shows where they'll talk about why wasn't this included what is what does this gospel say what what they're missing when they're wondering why that one wasn't added or included into the canon of scripture is because it doesn't meet this criteria. Hmm. And they're saying there is, like we have manuscript evidence, manuscript evidence where you have 8,000, I believe 8,000 Greek manuscripts alone of, of the New Testament documents. Wow. You have, um, and, and we did write that in here. So that's also, when you look at early testimony, we're looking at manuscript evidence that, that I believe the earliest piece of manuscript evidence we have is from the late like I want to say it's 180 105 I don't quote me on that exact date but it's right in in that range and it's a fragment of John's the the gospel of John right and so we have we have that but we also have hundreds of manuscript evidence 
than thousands of manuscript evidence where the scribes are literally writing this, the, the New Testament. And so I think we have, um, I think we have, there's some in Greek, there's some in Latin, there's, there's thousands of manuscript evidence that shows if there are any errors within the New Testament, it's usually spelling errors, or it could be uh, semi-location errors. None of it is contextual errors in the, in the sense of when it comes together to say that that Christianity isn't true or it's contradicting the fundamentals of Christianity, right? And so we have the manuscript evidence that shows these things are early and they're also confirmed by other scribes who wrote within the manuscripts. If the Gospel of Thomas does not have the early testimony, if it's not, if it, if it showed up in 400 AD, it's not going to be in here because we don't have any early testimony that confirms that it was written by mm. an eyewitness or a close companion of an eyewitness. See, that's why it has to be six E's of historical reliability. If yeah. it's not early, if it's not an eyewitness or a close companion, it doesn't get put in here because the likelihood of it being changed or something, it being a fraud is more likely the further we get away from the events that it records. Yeah. That's why I, it wouldn't be in there. Yeah, no, I think it's so great that you said that because I don't know if what I'm, I'm thinking this through and I don't know if I'm going to verbalize it correctly, but we have now, you know, these six E's of reliability that give us like why we have what we have as scripture. And I think, you know, there's this common whole, like, well, why not other things? And almost like, it's this expectation, I think, from people outside or from our own doubts or whatever to question what we do have and then using, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but like questioning, like, why don't we have other those other things, but like disregarding the fact that we need those, need them to be reliable. reliable. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if that made sense, what I just said. Yeah. But. Well, I think, I, I, I think I understand. And if I don't ask me again, but <laughs> I, I think for me, you know, growing up in church, we're not taught this part of, of why the, the, the Bible can be trusted. We're just, we we're told it's God's word and it is. And we, you know, if you look at God's attributes and God's nature, he's good. He's infinitely good. That automatically tells me he cannot err. Okay. No. Okay. It's written by men, right? So men are, are flawed. They can err. But when you look with that argument, you can say, yes, that is also true. So how can I trust this when it's written by men, but claim to be inspired by God? Mm. Well, again, we're looking at the evidence. Yeah. We are saying the, it's not just take my word for it. And that's almost what, how the church presents it is a take my word for it, that this is the word of God. When there is, that should be said that when you're teaching apologetics as a whole and you're starting with the cosmological yeah. argument and you're saying an infinite being had to have created a finite universe, then you start to see, okay, if this infinite being is all powerful and he is good, if there's, if, if an infinite being has a quality or a characteristic, that means that they are the source of that thing. Yeah. So if that infinite being is true, he's the truth, he's, your source of truth. If he's good, he's the source of goodness, which means he also cannot err, which means that if the people who wrote this book are claiming that that is their source of truth, that that being is like God, and that Jesus is the son of God, and they meet this criteria, then what we read about them and from them can be trusted, especially when 
we see that they didn't hold back on their own insufficiencies, which makes them more reliable and yes. more trustworthy. Yeah. I mean, look at Instagram. It's so against our nature. We're not going to put, hey, guys, like, this is what happened to me. Embarrassing moment. We are we put our filters on and our best foot forward in life because we want to present the best of us. Mm-hmm. They gave us the truth, showing even the flaws within, even, even throughout the New Testament. Remember when Peter went, reverted back to the Jude the strict Judaism and he would not eat with the Gentiles and Paul called him out on that and he said hey 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 remember we're not under the law anymore we're not separating ourselves Christ died for all Gentiles as well why are you sitting over there at your own table because you won't eat with the Gentiles and so they put that in there as well showing that there was still some some things that they had to work out within their own salvation and they didn't hold back from putting those things in there those things to me, are hard to write about yourself, Yeah, you know? And so, yes, part of the reason why we have such a difficult time is because we are learning this later on in life yeah. and we weren't presented with it in the church with simultaneously with the Bible is the word of God and it's inerrant. Yeah. We need to know both of those. Yes, it is. Why is it? So I love it. I love it. And jumping off of that too, um, I, I just think this is also important. And I love what you were saying about how they you know, reveal these hard things that sometimes we come at and we're like, well, they did this, so this can't be, you know, from God or something like that. But the fact that they're so honest about this process, like you're saying, and so raw just reveals how trustworthy they can be, that they're not hiding anything about all of this and how the Lord is, the Lord is in all of that. But like you said, how many of us are learning these things later on in life, talk to us about where we can find this workbook that you, you know, you keep referencing. Um, and, and so I will link that too in the show notes, but just as we wrap up here, yeah, where we can find that and to where we can find you and where people can connect with you and just learn more about everything you're saying. I know you have your own podcast and we talked about that in, in the intro before this, but, um, yeah, yeah. Let us know all the stuff. Yeah. So, Again, Dr. Frank Turek and Dr. Norman Geisler wrote, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's kind of like for me, I said I was raised in church. I was missing apologetics. But then when I watched Dr. Frank Turek, I was like, he made apologetics relatable to every Christian and was almost like, this is why you need to know this. And that's what he does. And I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. So if you're a parent or a Christian and you're like, I don't know the why behind the what of my religion that I claim, read that book. We also said, hey, we're waiting too long to allow kids to know the evidence of their own faith. We need to teach them. So we we co-wrote, uh, let's get real examining the evidence for God for sixth through eighth graders. This is a teacher guide. We walk you through how to teach it. And then this is the student workbook. If you ever just want to go through the workbook with your kids, this is it right here. You can get that at impactapologetics.com. There's also one for second through fifth graders called Yes, God is Real. And um, so we start young and then we work on through it. And there's, you know, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist at the high school level. And then we also teach online courses. This one and Let's Get Real are going side by side for parents and students. Right now at this moment, I'm teaching middle schoolers this while he's teaching the adults. And that's at onlinechristiancourses.school. We provide all classes online, historical, New Testament reliability, uh, historical reliability, you know, the gospels. Um, I don't have enough faith to be the eighth is progressive Christianity by Elisa Childers, uh, reaching and equipping Gen Z by Sean McDowell, you name it, it's in there. So go to online Christian courses dot school for more resources and don't just be 
I know what I believe, but I don't know why there's no excuses. There's resources, resources out there and Christians need to be in the know. We need to have these answers because you're going to be asked, if not by your kids, by your friends at a coffee shop or even, you know, people within your own church because it's happening and we don't have the answers and that's why they're leaving. The culture is winning and the church is losing them fast. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is so good. Thank you so much for all of that. And I think such a good, yeah, final encouragement too, like be equipped in what you know, why you believe it. Um, yeah, that's just so good. Thank you so much for coming on the She Lives Purposefully podcast and we will link all of those resources. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun.